Welcome to Beatitudes, where your host, Dr. Kwamenique Sukina, will give you tools to experience wisdom in your everyday life. Listen each week as Dr. Kwamenique Sukina shares stories that will help guide your faith, perspective, and attitude in every situation. This is Dr. Sukina of Indigenous Messengers International, and here is our host. Talk about be flexible, therefore available. Over the years, I've heard the saying in my head, blessed are they that bend, for they will not break. I don't know where I heard that from, but it comes back to me over and over. And I think part of the reason of that, for that reason, is because flexibility is really not my forte. <laughs> it especially wasn't when I was younger. It's something that I've really had to work at in my life. In the two decades that I spent as a dancer, flexibility of my body was even a challenge for me. I gravitated toward tap and ballet, not jazz and acrobatics. Even though I could do some, I was a cheerleader for many years, and, or a couple years, not many years. But I um, had to have some flexibility, but not like some of the other people. Like there was girls in, in uh, acrobatics, and we would call them that they had a rubber band back because they could do back bends and look just like a horseshoe. I would do my back bends and my back would you could it would look like a table that you could put a, a plate on and sit down because it was like my, my arms and then it was flat and then my legs. So it made it difficult. And even when I would do the splits, I wouldn't go all the way down to touch. When I had my cheerleading skirt on, you couldn't tell that. But I knew that I was not that flexible. And in jazz, you had to be very spontaneous and fluid and expressive, and that didn't really work really well for me either. I could do it, but I excelled in the performances with methodical movements and those of precision. Tap was really my best. And as a person, I was drawn to the predictable and the structured and yet I was also a creative. So this is, and I am a creative. So this would be hard because there were the two things at war within one and within me, with each other. But usually the structured won out and my creative self had to bow to the demands of the super responsible me who liked predictability. As a childhood alcoholic where life could tra- change drastically on a dime, I just didn't like that feeling of being out of control. So I really didn't choose to become a drinker. Uh, you know, in my younger years, when I would drink, I didn't want to have that feeling of being out of control. But I kind of navigated toward, because I was looking for some feeling of control in my traumatized world, I really moved toward business and work as my panacea for anxiety and the, the anxiety that plagued me from my traumatic past to work and be, to feel competent. And that made me feel in control. And even though it was an illusion, it still made me feel better. And it was an acceptable addiction in the faith-based organization I was a part of. So what I've often said about work addiction is people will applaud you while you're killing yourself. Um, because it is acceptable in our society. In fact, in a performance-based family or in a performance-based organization, 
or a performance-based culture, we are rewarded for these behaviors. The adrenaline fix that we get from these behaviors, along with the positive reinforcement and the attaboys and the applause that others make for us, it makes it difficult to know that we have a problem. And that was the case with me. And only those closest in our homes and lives trying to make deep connections with us will know the struggle that they would feel at times feeling crazy when they're trying to express to others the loss that they feel and lack of connection with the person who has a work or busyness addiction. So you, you put out the word work, and, and, and I remember thinking this myself, how can work or being busy be bad for us? And the answer to that is that anything can become bad for us when it affects our lives and relationships in negative ways. So today I want to share my process with you of my journey through work, busyness, addiction, and how flexibility was a part of the antidote for my malady. First, I want to share that I am by no means fixed from everything in my life. When I'm sharing these podcasts with you guys, I'm sharing what God has given to me and the wisdom he's given to me, but it's not wisdom for me if I don't do it. And, and so I, I'm working at that in my life. And it's progress, not perfection. The, the focus is not perfection. We are, we're not going to be fixed and all completely perfect until we're in eternity with Yeshua. But we can, when it talks about him, he takes us from glory to glory. We can move from dysfunction to being able to be healthier in our choices. We live in a work, production-focused, and performance-based culture. And it's honestly a balancing act. And my recovery is helping me to walk that balance. Some days are better than other days. Some days I'm more able to balance, and other times I fall back into old patterns. It's, it's, the only difference is that now I have some tools available, and and I understand what's going on in my life. I'm not in denial anymore about that. And so I'm able to get back to balance quicker than I used to. Again, it's about, it's not about perfection. It's about progress. One of my first steps in recovery came one day when I was working and someone asked something of me that interrupted my flow, in parentheses, And I was in that sweet spot where where you're working along and you're making progress, and then the dreaded interruption comes. I was aggravated. I wanted to get the project I was working on crossed off my to-do list. Back then, I actually gauged how I felt emotionally based on how many things I could check off my to-do list in one day. Goal-oriented would be the word I would use for myself. I'm still goal-oriented. The difference is is now I'm process-oriented as well. At that moment in my aggravation for the interruption, I heard the Lord speak to my heart with these words, Kwamanique, life is in the interruptions. The words were so clear and penetrated my soul. Life is in the interruptions. It made perfect sense. If I was unwilling to be interrupted, and so tied to my to-do list and goals to accomplish, 
I was going to miss out on the opportunities to work alongside God in my day. Interruptions could actually be God-sized opportunities and divine appointments. This was the first time that I realized that I was chained to my schedule much like a trapped animal. I remember thinking, but now how am I going to be able to get anything done and fulfill my responsibilities? I can't do less. I'm already behind and not getting enough done. It it just made no sense to me. I was really frustrated with it because I'm like, I'm already, you know, not getting everything accomplished that I feel that I'm supposed to get done. And so if I take off, if I change my, the way I look at this, how am I ever going to get anything done? I'm just going to fall further behind. So I decided, this came to me, I think it was probably an inspiration from the Lord, but I decided to keep a work log, like a person keeps a food journal to see how much they're eating in, you know, in one day. I thought, I'll keep a work log. And the reason I decided to do that is because I really thought I wasn't getting enough anything done. At the end of every day, I would always be kind of down, depressed feeling, because it felt like I didn't get anything done today. And it was just this defeatist feeling that would come over me like, oh gosh, I just can't ever get enough done. And so I got this little notebook and I started that first day writing down everything I was doing for the day, not just in in the business or the ministry, but work around the house, everything, including self-care, phone calls that I had to make to get the cars worked on or phone calls to pick up medication or getting a doctor appointment or checking everything. I put everything in that little work log. And I did it for three days. I did without looking at it at the end of the day. At the end of every day after doing those three days, I had the same depressed down feeling. I just didn't get anything done today. At the end of the three days, I decided to look at the logins and I was blown away. There were pages and pages of entries for only three days with so many tasks that I'd worked on that I couldn't believe it. Why in the world was I down every day thinking I hadn't gotten anything done? And this is when I said to myself, clearly you are brain damaged. I remember thinking, your brain does not work properly. Something is really wrong with you. And this was when I realized I had a problem. That I had no really, uh, that, that what was really happening was not adding up with my brain. This is work busyness addiction. This is, it affects the brain. And you can call it compulsion if that would make you feel better or, or distraction. But it's not being able to clearly see how much I was doing and it never being enough. I read this book one time that was really good. It's called um, Alcohol Addiction and it's something about the thinking of an addict. And I remember when I read it, thinking to myself, well, I'm not an alcoholic, but I think this way. And one of the things it said in there was that the person said, it's not about taking the first drink. It's about that I can't take the first think. And that's when I realized that it really, addictive thinking distorts the brain. It's not just what chemical or or process you use. It's just that you really don't think clearly. You don't think sanely. And when I saw this written down, all the stuff I'd done, but yet at the end of the day, I think I've not done anything. I'm like, something is really wrong with my brain. 
not being able to clearly see how much I was doing and it never being enough. Believing that one day I could rest when my to-do list was exhausted, which it never would be since more things went on the list every day. I remember the scripture about David when it said, and David, when he died, went to rest with his fathers. And I went, that's me. I'm not going to get to rest until I die. I'm going to be like David. That scripture was even distorted in my mind. And I remember at one point thinking this way. When everyone else dies when they're 80, I will have lived 160 years because I am working and getting things done 16 hours a day. I had no idea it was going to cut my life short. That's the insanity of that type of thinking. Having no understanding that there was enough to-dos in my book on that page for four people. And also, I realized that self-care didn't even count on the list and usually came last. This was a shock to me. That didn't matter. I mean, if I brushed my teeth, if I took a shower, if I took my vitamins, if I went for a walk, that doesn't, that, that's not measurable. That doesn't get counted as a good thing you did. That's kind of in the waste of time line that you just have to do to keep going. That was a shock to me when I realized that. And my life was so inflexible around work and my to-do list and my expectations, there wasn't room for life, much less interruptions. This was the beginning for me of recovery from work addiction, along with my awareness and returning to Shabbat, keeping the Sabbath on Saturday, once a week, clearing the schedule it helped me to understand the margin that God created in our lives. But he didn't need to rest. He was, he's all energy, all power, all everything. There's no need for him to rest. Why did, he, why did he say that for us? Why did he rest to show us? He rested to show us because that we needed that. And he's not like a father who's going to say, do as I say, don't do as I do. It was like, do as I do. And he rested on that day. That was helpful to me. It was really helpful to me in my recovery because God was saying to do this. And it was hard for me. I remember in the beginning, I was like, God, I I just don't think I can do this. And I remember getting very depressed. And then when I read up some information from Jewish Lights, I think it was, understand they call it Shabbat depression. When you're first going through Shabbat and and you come down and your body, part of that repair is to feel down. It's your body's way of repairing itself. It's needed. It's a part of the, it's kind of like boredom. We need that. And and in our culture, we don't get it anymore. It's a part of creativity. It's a part of our body coming to rest. And it does kind of feel down. You do feel down. But that was important for me. And then I had a a revelation where I asked the Lord, well, why, why do I need to do this? I wasn't taught to do this as a child. I wasn't taught to do this in my church. Why do I need to do this? And he was like, well, I'm teaching you how to die well. And I was like, what do you mean you're teaching me how to die well? He said, well, because you have your to-do list and you have your to-do list. And on Fridays, you have to put your to-do list aside for 24 hours. And you have to grapple with that. And he said, 
I'm going to come for you one day and I'm going to say, Kwamanique, it's six o'clock. It's Shabbat. You're done. And you're going to want to say, but I'm not finished with my list yet. But I had this, but I had that. And I'm going to say, it's Shabbat. You're done. And I was like, wow. And I'm still, it's still a war. I'm still working out my own salvation and fear and trembling with this. It's still hard for me and challenging for me. And I'm not telling all of you what to do. I'm telling you for me, God was utilizing that time to pull me out of the culture, to pull me back. And sometimes it's more of a war for me to move into that than others. But he was utilizing that in my life to also create margin. And that margin was for him. And one of the things that he taught me about that with the Shabbat was it wasn't a day for me to pursue him, to be about busyness, to be about achieving, even I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to, it was about him pouring into me on that day. It was about me being a receptor, receptacle, where I was just going to be a receiver It wasn't about me doing anything. It was about being. And Shabbat, that was what, it was a part of the beginning of me of recovery. One of the outcomes of recovery for me is the ability to add flexibility to my life. And and it's still a challenge, as I say to you, but I'm much better in that area than when I began. It's my responsibility to create balance in my life. It wasn't like balance was going to find me. I really had to labor to enter into rest, it says in the scriptures. We have to labor to enter into rest. And so I I really did have to, you know, work on, you know, put some effort toward that. Life itself is not going to create that for me with all its demands. And the truth is, is that in an ever-changing environment, flexibility is essential in order to have true happiness. Trying to force our will on our schedules, it's usually, it's completely exhausting. It doesn't work and it causes a lot of stress. And that's something I'm really having to revisit right now in my life because as I age, I don't have the same stamina that I used to have. And I have been dealing with, uh, you know, the illness that I deal with since my brother's death. The grief experience can kind of unearth things in our lives. And I've been having to revisit some of these things. So writing on this, speaking on this today is is good for me. It's reinforcement for me to be able to look at these things again. Because recently I just had to cancel two things that I had planned to do um, where I was going to be doing ministry. And one of them was visiting, you know, grandchildren in Alaska. And it's like, that's hard for me with my expectations, but it just happens. And flexibility gives us the ability to take care of ourselves and do what we need to do. Flexibility is the capacity to adapt to new, different, and changing requirements. And that's where that saying comes to me again, those who bend will not break. Think about these trees in a hurricane when you watch some of the palm trees that bend all the way over to the ground almost. And they don't break because of the flexibility. There's a gentleman named Arnaud who was a writer who says this. He says, life is movement. The more life there is, the more flexibility there is. The more fluid you are, the more you are alive. And that's good to remember because when you think about a stagnant pond, the water is just non-moving. 
it's not good to drink that water. But when you think about moving water, that's the water where life is, where the oxygen is coming into the water. That's the safe water to drink. So there's something about that movement and that flexibility that brings life. To become more flexible in life, we'll have to prioritize our lives and learn to say no. That's hard for me because I am an empath and I was a people pleaser, not as much as I used to be, but I still have a hard time if people are upset with me. I have a lot of expectations around myself. And this is where our relationship with God is its of most importance because we need to pray and ask God for his will for us and the power to carry that out. That's step 11 in the 12 steps. That puts things in perspective for us. We're asking for God's will for our lives. And then we ask for the strength to do it. You know, I've said many times in the ministry, and I've, I've done these large gatherings and hosted things. And with my diagnosis on board, I shouldn't be able to do a lot of that. But God gets in me and wears me like a glove. I feel led to do something. And I, and if he doesn't give me the strength, it's not going to happen. And so recently, that's why I, I felt You know, I went back to him in prayer about some things and I was like, nope, I have to pull it. I have to postpone it because if he's not there in it, I don't have extra strength on board to pull things off in and of my own strength. Kind of like the canary in the coal mine here, but that there's a positive in that and that I'm not, I don't have extra energy to run around and do things that are going to be a waste of time and energy. And I just don't have it on board. We just can't do it all, but God can direct our paths to make choices that are manageable and give us margin in our lives. I still have a difficult time with margin. I love getting things done. That goal orientation takes over. And I remember one time my husband saying to me, it's a good idea. It's a good thing you're disabled because if you weren't, I'd be dead because I would have all kinds of to-dos for us to do. Um, but that was before my recovery. We st- I still have to work on margin. And when you look at a book, if you look at a book and you're reading a book, and if all the words are all crammed together without any spaces, you can't even read the book. It's, a, it's not understandable. So margins in our life are what help to make things understandable. And we have a little bit of time there to be able to, to really live. That, the margins are where, you know, that's the oxygen. That's the breath in between. You know, I've had to accept that my list will never be finished and it will never be blank. That was part of the insanity of my thinking is that one day I would actually win over that list and I would have, I would get to the end of a day and everything on it would be gone. And then that means, hooray, I have won, I have conquered it, and now I can have a life. And that was never going to happen. So now I still make the list, but I have to give it over to God and let God prioritize my list. If our lives are fluid, then the aspects of our lives should flow together and not compete against one another. There should be an overall mission statement for our lives. If you don't have one, it's good to create that for yourself because it helps you to really get clear on where you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to live. And it helps to keep us in balance and not veer off track, especially in the area of rescuing others or falling into people-pleasing so that our schedules are cram-packed and there's no room for God to intervene in our day. Or if we're getting people calling us and it's, they sound like great appointments and, oh, this is going to be great for the ministry or great for my job or great for me. And we're pulled into that. It's good to know where we're called and where to labor. 
and who we're going to be laboring among so that we stay we stay on in that place with God. One of the blessings from my recovery was the ability to be interrupted. I, I had a hard time with interruption before that, and I think that was hard on my kids, really. I don't think it, I know it, because they would, kids, kids interrupt you. They do. Uh, they come up with ideas, and they want to have questions, and when I would be on the job and I would get a phone call from one of my kids, I remember le- hearing back one time when I, that's when we had the voice machines that our voices and it, it recorded and my youngest son was asking me a question and I could hear in my voice, yes, yes, okay, okay. It was like, hurry up, hurry up. I wasn't saying that, but when I listened to my tone, it was really hurry up, hurry up. And I look back on that time and I can't do anything about it now. I feel very bad about it. Now, all I can do is a living amends where I'm not going to do that anymore to people. And so I work really hard on that to be like, I don't want to do that to people. I don't want to make them feel that way. I want, especially my children and my grandchildren. And that can, you know, it, when we have that stuff about being interrupted, we cannot even know that we're impatient and, and we'll be impatient. So I'm able to be interrupted now and let the agitation go. I still may have it there, but not to the degree it was before. And I can say to myself now when I'm interrupted, Kwamanique, Life is in the interruptions, so look for life here. Whether that be, I'm not always good at it, but whether that be that I'm having to go into a, on a medical procedure or I'm having to look for life there. Whatever the interruption is, we can look for life there. It could be a divine appointment from God. I have had some of those when I had to go into doctor's appointments. I had a doctor one time that cleared his schedule for two hours and sat and talked to me. He wanted to find out about my faith because I'd made some remarks about no one was going to write on my God, on my page, God page, but me and God. And he said, I want to know about that. And, and he had had two or three heart attacks and was having to retire early. And he told the nurse to clear his schedule. And he sat there with me and I shared my faith with him and about how I'd been able to make it through suffering. And when I got ready to leave, I said, can you it was it was like a kind of like a maze, and I said, "Can you help me to know how to get out?" He said, "I'm not going to help you because you are so close to your God. I know He'll help you find a way out of here." <laughs> I've had those experiences. They were irritating in the beginning. I don't want to be sick. I don't want to have to go into doctor's appointments. I don't have to drive three hours to Cedar Sinai. I don't want. But one thing I do every year is I send a gift and a, a small gift, not expensive, little thing, and a card with a letter to all my doctors thanking them, thanking them for being my doctor and saying to them, I know that you've made a sacrifice for humanity. And I know everyone doesn't always stop to thank you because we live in an entitled society. But I want to thank you for all of those that have not been able to thank you. When I go back into my appointments, they all say to me, Thank you so much for your letter. It encouraged me so much. One doctor, who was really kind of stiff, came over and put her arm around me and said, I've hung it in my office to encourage me. If we're going to be derailed, then we can make the best of it because God is everywhere and we can find life in the interruptions. Sometimes it means the ability to be available to divine, to divine appointments and others that God might need in our way, coming our way. 
It also can give us the ability to be there for our children and our grandchildren when our lives get to intersect with them. Opportunities pass, and I want every opportunity possible to be available as an elder to my family. And sometimes that's meant for me changing my plans. There's times I don't really want to have to drive so far to do something or babysitter. And I, because I'm selfish. By nature, I am a selfish person, especially when I don't feel good. And I've had to say to myself, you're only going to be in this world a certain amount of time and you're leaving a legacy and making those choices sometimes, those hard choices. Now, I'm not talking about where we're running and rescuing all the time. I'm talking about being available to the next generation, even though we don't feel good and we're old, to be able for them to draw from a well, W-E-L-L, a well of wisdom, experience, life experience. Opportunities pass, and we don't want those to pass. Flexibility enables availability. Bob Goff has said that God often uses the least qualified but the most available people to get things done. I love the scripture of Peter being interrupted by Jesus because he reminds me of me. I really relate to Peter. There was this fight flight guy. He's cutting the guy, the soldier's ear off. He's, you know, he's, he's truly traumatized and he's hiding out because he's scared he's going to be killed. And, and he's so, he loves, he loves Jesus, Yeshua so much, but then he denies him. And, you know, he one minute he he's speaking from the spirit of god and the next god is having to say get behind me you know it's like he's human he's very human but one of, he did this correctly he was cleaning his nets you know trying to get things done he was on task and jesus comes up to him it's in in luke 5 4 through 6 and he, jesus just finished speaking and he says hey peter Uh, Put out in the deep water over there and let down the nets for a catch. And Peter says, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. You know, he's cleaning the nets. He he clearly does not want to be interrupted. Especially he doesn't want to have to put the boat back in. He says this, though. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so... They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Now, remember, Peter was done for the day. He was cleaning the nets. But he had to be willing to be interrupted. He had to stop what he was doing, washing the nets. And it was inconvenient, and it was not going to meet his goal. But out of this obedience came a miracle. And many other miracles that Jesus created came out of availability. When he called the disciples to come and follow, they had to make themselves available. The disciples were available to Jesus, and that's why they had a relationship with him. Our relationship with him will be based on our availability to him as well. In fact, all of our relationships, even with other people in our lives, and the depth of them, they're all going to be built around our availability to one another. And the culture of, the t- of today, with all its demands, makes that really, really challenging. I mean, go into a restaurant and look at how many of us are on our cell phones uh, during a family dinner. I mean, it's, I, I see it all the time, and I have to make myself not do it. 
because I look over people looking across. They're not even looking across from each other in the meal. They're there together and they're looking at their phones. For me to be available to others, I found that first, I have to create that availability for myself in my own life on a deep level with me, with myself. Since my relationship with others can be a reflection of my relationship with my inner self. If I don't have time for myself, probably not going to have time for others. If, I don't, if I'm not kind to myself, probably not going to be kind to others. If I'm impatient with myself, probably going to be impatient with others. And it goes on and on. That starts with me being kind and compassionate with myself and open to knowing myself on a deeper level. And it also means making a commitment of time to self-care, reflection, and pulling out of the demands of my life to bring the inner aspects of myself to God in prayer and meditation. If I don't have the patience to sit with myself and be emotionally available and present with myself, it's doubtful I'll be able to have that with others outside of myself. We're to love others as we love ourselves. And so many of us have never made that love connection with ourselves. I've also found that being present is the most important aspect of being available. We need to be there not just physically, but emotionally and especially spiritually for people when we're with them. This is true presence and not just showing up and meeting a need but making a deep life connection that's life-giving. It's not always easy to do that, but that is a place that I I try to be when I'm with people. And I miss the mark at times. But when people are present, present with me and they see me and they're with me, it's life-giving to me. It's healing. As I continue to learn in my recovery from my work and busyness, distraction, addiction, compulsion, whatever you would want to call it, I'm finding that interruptions are easier tolerated and that I'm able to make changes in my schedule without as much angst. With a chronic illness, you know, I have to be flexible with my schedule. And sometimes that means canceling plans. And this is not, it's just not easy for me to do it because I hate disappointing people and I feel disappointed too. But I'm having to learn that as human beings, we have limitations, and those limitations don't always work well with to-do lists. I just said to you, I recently had to cancel some things. Very hard for me, but very needed. We all have things to accomplish in this lifetime, and we have responsibilities to take care of, and we have deadlines to meet. That's a given. However, when these things begin to choke the breath out of us, and take the life out of life itself, it's time to reevaluate and perhaps open up to more flexibility in our lives. This flexibility can open our minds and hearts to a new avenue of thought, and it gives us strategies to balance our lives in ways that bring space into our lives, not only for interruptions, but that space can also be to bring joy in our lives and the quality relationships in our lives and healing in our lives. I would like to end today with you guys. I have a book that I have that helps me, a little book that I read sometimes in the mornings. It's called A Minute Margin. And as a recovering workaholic, busaholic person that likes to get things done, I have to be reminded on a daily basis um, about balance. And it, it's, it's how God restores my mind. It's part of my meditation. This is called A Minute Margin by Dr. Richard A. Swenson. 
and this is Reflection 156, called Margin and Availability. Bruce Larson, the pastor and author, says this, But it is possible that the most important thing God has for me on any given day is not even on my agenda. Am I interruptible? Do I have time for the non-programmed things in my life? My response to those interruptions is the real test of my love. To defend full-throttle progress and its absence of margin is to presume that all which is good in life and all that God wants us to accomplish is only possible in a booked-up, highly efficient, often exhausted way of life. But his asking us to walk the second mile, to carry others' burdens, to witness to the truth at any opportunity, and to teach our children when we sit, walk, lie, and stand— All priests suppose we have margin and that we make it available for his purposes. Obedience to these commands is often not schedulable. Actually, margin is not a spiritual necessity, but availability is. God expects us to be available for the needs of others, and without margin, one has great difficulty guaranteeing availability. Instead, when God calls, he gets the busy signal. Margin exists not only for the well-being of each individual, but also for the service of others. It exists just as we exist for the purpose of being available to God. There are two ways we can be available. The first is for us to make our schedules, but then be willing to set aside our agendas whenever God calls. Such willingness, however, seldom happens. Our lives are uninterruptible due to the imperative of staying on task. Maybe tomorrow? A second way of being available is to make our schedules less full, but then offer this extra discretionary time to the Father. What do you want me to do with this time today? God's intention might be for us to use the time to pray, to meditate, to rest, to serve, to parent, to tell of of the good news, or a thousand other ways of cooperating with His eternal purposes. Being useful to God and others is a large part of what life is meant to be, and yet usefulness is nine-tenths availability. When others need help, they don't need it two days from now. It is part of the discipline of humility, wrote Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that we do not assume that our schedule is our own to manage, but allow it to be arranged by God. And this is the Rx that the doctor that wrote this book leaves us, the prescription. Make your schedule, but then hold it lightly. God might have other use of your time. Learn to differentiate the spirituality, spiritually Ill- illegitimate distractions of the cultural treadmill from the spiritually legitimate calls for kingdom service. A warning. Just because a cause is consistent with kingdom priorities does not mean God is assigning you the service. Be sure to consult him before presuming on his will. So I want to thank you today for the time that you've spent with me. Your time is valuable. My time is valuable. And in this finite time, Earthside, we don't get it back. We can't go back and reclaim time. So that's why these types of teachings are important. I do want to remind you again of our website, indigenousmessengers.com. Love for you to go on there if you haven't read our bio so you can know a little more. You can see pictures of us and know us a little more personally than just my voice. 
see my husband's artwork that he does that's beautifully done, and read some of the books that we've written and some of the DVDs that we've recorded where you can get some more insight into things that God has placed in our hearts that we bring to the table. I also want to let everyone know that we do have a gathering in Richmond, Virginia, July 14th, 15th, and 16th. It's going to be at MAPS Global on Friday and Saturday, and on Sunday, Tikvot Israel in the basement. We have Chief Joseph and Dr. Laura Lynn Riverwind, Elizabeth Hawker, and Atret Schmel that will, are going to be speakers at this, and we have an incredible worship team um, that are going to be leading worship. It's going to be, the gathering is called First Nations Honors Israel, and we are going to be doing that, honoring our elder brother, the First Nation of the First Nations people, as my husband and I like to say. And as I always do, I always want to think about my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren and my children. And, and just uh, every time I think of them, I'm so grateful. They're all so beautifully and wonderfully made. I got a card today from my great-granddaughter, Eleanor, a thank-you note for the birthday card I sent her and the little gift. And she drew a person on the front in native regalia. And I was so blessed. So thank you, Eleanor, for leaving that for your Nana. I appreciate it so much. And I pray for my children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren of all the miracles that, that God you keep doing in their lives each and every day. Thank you for them. And I dedicate this podcast to them, my children, my grandchildren, and my great-grandchildren. Blessings. Thank you for listening to Beatitudes with Dr. Kwamenich Sukina. Be sure to follow the show for more tools on how to experience wisdom in your everyday life for you to walk in victory with the right attitude.